that. Y'all can grab a seat. Hello, again, if I've not had the pleasure of meeting you, my name's Sammy, I'm the campus minister. And tonight we're starting a new series uh, through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're calling it Finding Meaning in a Meaningless World. And tonight what I want to do is really just frame our series as we're going forward for the rest of this semester. And to do that, I'm going to read uh, uh, Ephesians, Ecclesiastes 1, 1 to 3, and Ecclesiastes 12, 6 to 14. You can follow along on your handout if you want. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Skipping down to verse 12, or chapter 12. Remember him. Before the silver cord is severed and the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Let me pray for us, and then I want to kind of tell us where we're going tonight. Let's pray first. Our Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the wisdom books. Uh, Lord, If in our most sober, uh, spirit-led moments, uh, we know that we are fools. We know that we have failed uh, you. <clears throat> we have failed our loved ones. Uh, we have, like sheep, gone astray, each of us to our own way. We have often been wise in our own eyes instead of wise in your eyes. So Lord, I pray that as we think about um, this weird book of Scripture that you have for us, that you've preserved for us, uh, that you would make it a balm to our souls, that you would um, use it in beautiful in beautiful ways, uh, to show us the truth about ourselves, to show us uh, what true wisdom and life is in this world, uh, and to show us most of all, Lord, uh, the beauty and wisdom and power and grace uh, of Jesus. And we ask these things, we pray these things in his name. Amen. That's what we're thinking about. We're, we're thinking about finding meaning in a meaningless world. And really the, the, the main kind of gist of what I want you to see tonight is basically this. That where do we find meaning in a meaningless world? I'm going to say to you, meaning is found in wisdom, and wisdom is found in Jesus. But I want to talk about just wisdom tonight. We're, we're coming to Ecclesiastes. We're going to get, take that journey. That's, if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, do yourself a favor. It's a wild ride. We're going to take that ride. But I want to frame it for us tonight, thinking about why we need wisdom. Why do we need wisdom and how wisdom is found in Jesus? Uh, years ago, a few years ago, I was doing a wedding in Myrtle Beach, and some of my old students were there, and a group of us left the ceremony to head over to the reception, but we had some time to kill in between, so we ended up in this little pub, and what happened was somehow with a mix of guys and girls, recently graduated students, 
we started talking about dating. And this is still like a top, it's a top 10 convo for me. It was just, I wrote down like the things that we learned that we said. Uh, here, here was some of the things that were said. How do you typically ask a girl on a date? Do you say the word date? If not, why? Do you have a policy if a guy asks you out who you don't really want to date? How much time is socially acceptable before you do the DTR, define the relationship? And I think mostly what I remember what we figured out was guys are afraid to use the word date and girls, y'all tell me if I'm wrong, really wish guys would use the word date for that thing that guys do when you single out a lady to do something fun. Um, That's mostly what I remember from this condo. But what struck me, and this is where I'm going, what struck me is what we couldn't do in that moment was pull out the Bible and see exactly what it has to say about dating. When we're thinking about dating, what you should do, when, how, how long you should date, how do you know you should get married, etc. The Bible, there's not, there's not a place in Scripture I can take you to clearly spell it all out. Because when we're thinking about dating, what we're, we're in the realm of what we're going to call wisdom. Learning to do life in a gray, an often frustratingly gray world. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about why we need wisdom, what wisdom is, and where we find it. Why we need wisdom, what wisdom is, and and where we find true wisdom. So let's think first why we need wisdom. And when you stop to think about it, it's not just dating. So much of life is not black and white and requires tons of wisdom and how to sort through the gray. Not just who should I date and marry, but what should I major in? Who should I room with? Should I get a job while I'm in school? How many hours should I take? These are all questions that bring us fully into the realm of wisdom, out of the realm of black and white, into the world of wisdom, because there isn't right or wrong, but there is wise or foolish. All right, so my junior year, I went to Carolina, and I lived in our fraternity hall. And one day, my roommate and I were hanging out, and we had this brother... This is weird to say. We had this brother, his name was Ford, and he was like a 40-year-old wrapped in a 20-year-old's body. I mean, he was just one of those dudes who seemed extremely wise beyond his years. He was one of those guys who just never questioned his decisions. And that was not my roommate and I. We were a bit floundering, like, should we do homework today? Probably. Should we go to class? Maybe. Uh, you know, just floundering in terms of how to live our lives. And this strange thing happened where my roommate at the time, his name was Bradford, looked at Ford and was like, Ford, for a week, would you just tell me what to do? And like literally they did this little experiment where for a week of my roommate's life, our friend Ford just told him what to do, like minute by minute, and kind of led him through his, his week, his days and his week. But what was he saying, my roommate? He was saying, I'm not wise enough to live my life in the way that it needs to be lived. I need to grow in wisdom is what he was saying. Um, I think part of what makes college fun at its best and maybe tricky at times is for the first time, especially if you're a freshman, you've no longer got an authority figure kind of standing over your shoulder saying do this or don't do that. You've gotten some space, some distance from your parents, your teachers, your coaches, your youth group leaders. And for a lot of you, those voices weren't great voices, but for some they were. But now you're here, no one's telling you what to do and making you do stuff. And if you're honest with yourself, you actually come to what I love Josh Radner from How I Met Your Mother, what he calls the dirty little secret of life, which is this, that no one feels like an adult. No one. 
not even 40-year-olds feel like we 100% know what we're doing all the time. And here's what I want you to see, is that college is a time and space and place where if you let it, if you're humble enough, if you let it, you can admit that you're a fool who's been pretending to be wise. And that the wisdom you need to live your life in a satisfying and self-controlled way, you don't have it, and yet desperately need it. And this is what the teacher, the teacher in Ecclesiastes, who is pushing us to ask the real questions, the hard questions of life, that's what he's going to do throughout the whole book. Part of what he's pushing us to see is that the meaninglessness of life under the sun without wisdom is what he's trying to get us to see. The ways of just going through the motions of life or the ways of chasing the things that don't ultimately really matter. Uh, The way that he's going to show us is that education and money and pleasure and power and beauty and success and hard work are chasing the wind if we don't have wisdom. They pale in comparison to the wisdom of fearing God and keeping his commandments, of remembering him and everything, where rich or poor, on top or on bottom, failing or succeeding, the only thing that keeps our feet on the ground and our hands steady and our heads clear is wisdom. But what exactly is wisdom? That's the second thing I want you to see, is what wisdom is. And what you have to understand about the book of Ecclesiastes is that we don't understand the book of Ecclesiastes. It's not just an easy, oh yeah, this is exactly like, your grandmother doesn't have meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, crocheted on her wall. If she does, I want to meet your grandmother immediately because that would be amazing. But Ecclesiastes is trying to show us life without wisdom, therefore life without wisdom or without meaning and, and what wisdom is, why the Lord has preserved this book for us. And here's the way I want, to, want you to see it. Wisdom is like an antidote to cynicism. It's, C.S. Lewis talked about the cynicism of seeing through everything. It's not seeing through everything to the point where there's nothing left to see. Wisdom, instead, is seeing the truth behind everything and in everything. We can say like this, wisdom on one hand is seeing the emptiness of chasing anything, and on the other, the fullness of remembering God in everything. I love the way that Tim Keller puts it. I think it's in your handout. Wisdom is seeing how things really work, how things really are, and what to do about it. How things work, how things are, and what you should do about it. It's seeing behind the surface to the reality of things. Uh, Let me try it like this. My, My wife and I loved the uh, British version of Sherlock, the new one with Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch, the batch, just a wonderful man. And think about Sherlock, if you've ever seen the movies or the show, Sherlock walks into a messy room and sees things that you and I don't see, right? So if I walk into a messy room, I don't have the Sherlock gift of like putting together all the little clues of just like making all the little connections and dots, but he does. When he walks into a messy room, He sees so much more than you or I see. He sees clues. He notices things that help explain the scene, that help bring understanding and resolution. And that is just a really small example of what Ecclesiastes is inviting us into. To see the real. To see and find the meaning. And it's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is what Google can give us. Wisdom is what good parents can give us. Uh, my kids, when they were younger uh, and had smartphones that weren't, didn't actually have service because we were, we were those kinds of parents, <laughs> so I guess we still are, 
But they, they would ask Siri stuff all the time. First they had tablets and laptops, and now they actually do have iPhones. But never, when you think about it, your generation, my kids' generation, never is there going to be a generation that has more access to knowledge. Like, I'm old enough to remember when I was 10 years old, I still feel scammed by this, we got the big birthday gift from our grandfather, and my mom somehow talked me into buying a set of encyclopedias, which if you don't know what that is, encyclopedias were literally books just filled with all kinds of useful-ish information. So if I wanted to learn about whales, I had to find W, I think it was WZ, and like hope that they had some interesting info about whales. Uh, but now, my kids, I can ask Siri, uh, have the answer in less than what, 10 seconds? But wisdom is something different. Wisdom is the art of skillful living. It's the art of skillful living. The stakes are high because here it is for us. Do you know what you should do and when you should do it and how you should do it and why you should do it? That's something that knowledge can't give you or me. Neither can the rules. That can't, they can't, even the best of rules can't give that to us. Only wisdom can begin to help us to make the right choices that will shape our lives in ways that are good and beautiful and true. And this is what the teacher is pushing us to see. I love the way that Zach Eswine puts it. It's on your handout. It's the first quote. I think it's the first quote. There's a kind of authenticity that God is willing to set, us, set before us in this book that would make any of us who pride ourselves in transparency clam up. It is as if God plays the you think that's bad game with us. To whatever we say, he says, you think that's bad, let me tell you something more. Ecclesiastes seems like one of God's ways to say to us, the world and your life are more broken than you now realize, and what God created for us is more satisfying than we believe. God intends to reveal himself as the one who goes there. I love that. He intends to equip, and this is what I want you to see. He intends to equip his people with a voice and language and method that has the capacity to, to do the same. Getting prepared by God to find a language adequate for handling life as it is. This is the calling set before us in Ecclesiastes. That's the journey we're going to take this semester. It's, if you know the scene from Solomon's life, 1 Kings 3, where God, he's praying in the temple, and God says, ask me for anything. Do you remember this? And it's like he could have asked for endless money to set up his family for generations to come. He could have asked for perfect power to rule over the world. But instead, he asked for what? He asked for wisdom. Why? Because he knew more important than being rich was knowing what to do with money or the lack thereof. Because he knew more important than being in power was how to use that power well when he had it and how to submit to being powerless well when he didn't. Uh, this is coming fresh for me and Alyssa. We're, we're, working on, we're working on money stuff, budget stuff. It's painful. I just want the things that I want. I don't think the things that I want are crazy, but we disagree. <laughs> Fingers get pointed. But the Lord in his grace is showing us, here's the deal. It's not so much that we've got a money problem. We've got a wisdom problem. We struggle or can struggle to know how to save, how to spend within good limits, how to live within those limits. We don't have a money problem. We have a wisdom problem. Can I say to you, most of your struggles in life come down to just that. You have a wisdom problem. You don't have a time problem. You have a wisdom problem in knowing how to order and structure your time. 
uh, you don't have a friend problem, you have a wisdom problem in knowing how to be and make friends. So if that's true for us, where in the world, the last thing I want you to see, where in the world are we going to get wisdom? And this is where Christianity is really unique. Because wisdom for us is not an idea. Wisdom for us is not a principle. Wisdom for us is the person of Jesus. And this is what I want to, that's what we did at Ecclesiastes 12. I want you to see we're jumping to the end. Spoiler alert, you can read Ecclesiastes. Some of you have read Ecclesiastes for yourself. But we're doing it so that we kind of have a sense of where we're going. And that's the teacher's famous conclusion. Now all has been heard, he says. Here is the conclusion of the matter. How do we find meaning in a meaningless world? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Now, if you're like me, that idea of fearing the Lord can be uh, difficult. What does that mean? Because if you've read the Bible enough, maybe you know that the command that shows up the most in Scripture is fear not. So how are we supposed to both fear not and also fear the Lord, which Proverbs says is the beginning of wisdom, and Ecclesiastes, I believe, gives us the answer, which is the birthplace, this, the birthplace of wisdom is when we look to our creator, the creator of the galaxies, with affectionate reverence. Uh, Let me say it another way. To fear the Lord is another way of saying to be in right relationship with him. Uh, As a parent, let me try it this way. As a parent, I I get this. My kids fearing me doesn't mean when when I tell them to do something, they go cower in the corner and like wet themselves. That's not what I want for my children. Them fearing me is being in right relationship with me, which means they know, they trust me because they know that I know more than they know. I care for them. I love them. They can trust me even when things... Uh, that they don't fully understand are happening because I'm not going to harm them or hurt them. It's affectionate reverence. It's right relationship, but it's more. It's more than this. And Ecclesiastes is, is meant to get us to ask the hard questions and the right questions that we might see ourselves rightly and we might see this world rightly, but it's getting us to ask those questions that we might look beyond the book of Ecclesiastes to where the answers are found in the Lord Jesus. There's only one who ever perfectly feared God and kept his commandments, and his name is Jesus. It's the same one that John called in John chapter 1, the Logos, the one where we find the true meaning of life. It's the same one that Luke tells us grew in wisdom and favor with God and man. It's the same one who Paul says what we read, that he is our wisdom, our righteousness, And he contains, Paul says in another place in Colossians, all the treasures of wisdom are in him. Wisdom is a person. Wisdom is the Lord Jesus. And wisdom for us begins with being in right relationship with him, with this person who is wisdom fulfilled and personified, coming to him in faith and repentance. And it doesn't end there. When we begin relationship with Jesus, we begin to grow in wisdom by being in relationship with him who is not just our guide and, and friend and mentor, but who calls himself the wonderful counselor, the one who made the world and rules the world and is healing the world. Knowledge might come from reading, but wisdom comes from relationship and from experience with him and the beginning of real wisdom and true wisdom and deep wisdom, which we're desperately in need of, 
if we are understanding ourselves rightly, is with the only one who is perfect and perfectly knows what he is doing. Um, I'll close with this. There's a, a film that came out in 2015 called The Big Short. It was a pretty emotional film for me and my wife because we actually did lose a house in the 2007 and 8 uh, housing finance uh, recession. So this movie was like seeing for the first time what actually happened to us. And, and the difference between me and my wife, she went to see it and just came back mad. <laughs> I went to see it and just cried, just wept through the whole thing because it was like watching what had happened. It was like seeing, ah, I get it now, this hard thing that we've experienced. I understand it, but words and language, this is what Ecclesiastes is going to do for us. But there's a, uh, Steve Carell plays a role in that movie that's beautiful, where he sees it coming the whole time. And he's out here trying to warn Wall Street, if you let the housing world do this, it is going to crush people. And he's out, he's, he's, he's blowing the whistle, he's trying to get Wall Street to see and listen, and they don't because of greed and all the reasons we could name. And then there's a scene with him after everything has crashed, and people are out of their homes, and just chaos is happening, where he's not gloating, and he's actually pretty moved and emotional, and he basically says, yeah, yes, I saw this coming. I knew what was going to happen. Another way we can say it is he saw things clearly. He saw things as they really were. And this is what I want you to see about the Lord Jesus. As he does, he sees things clearly. But he's more than some grand philosopher who just wants us to listen to him and learn from him. He is wisdom himself. He didn't come to impart wisdom. He came to be our wisdom, to be our righteousness. And we go to him. We go to the one who feared God and kept his commandments and yet died embracing what Paul says, the folly of the cross, which is foolishness to the world, but salvation to those who have put their trust and faith in Jesus. And we go to him for wisdom. And this is what I have for you. I don't know what you're feeling tonight. Maybe you feel a little bit like I felt today, where you just feel like a fool. Or you feel foolish because of something you've thought or done. And the invitation is, if you feel foolish, is to run to Jesus, our wisdom, who came to be our wisdom. Let me pray for us. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your constant invitation. Um, I pray that you would, as we look at um, Ecclesiastes the rest of the semester, that you would um, draw us to yourself, that you would... Give us the grace to see and admit the hard, the hard parts, uh, our sin, our struggle, but with the double invitation of always inviting us to come and find our rest in you and to find our righteousness in you and to find our wisdom in you. We need that, and we pray that you would do that work in us. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Please stand and sing our last song with us.